Welcome to Alive and Kick In, the 90s football podcast. The podcast is more 90s than the Childliner's gift of Christmas. Here's the gift of Christmas, the world at its best. We mustn't forget what... Do you remember that one? My wife doesn't, so don't worry if you don't. It involved E17, M&A, Deuce, Ultimate Chaos, CJ Lewis, Danny Minogue. Bloody 90s, that one. But yeah, it's quite a rarity. I have it on cassette. Maybe I'll put that on Twitter in a rare non-footballing post. But anyway, how are you doing? It's Christmas, baby! Yes, my name is Ash Rose. Welcome to Alive and Kicking the 90s Football Podcast. I'm your host for this, yes, your guide through football in the 1990s. And as it's Christmas, here is an extra slice of 90s goodness for you just before Santa arrives this weekend and and gives you, hopefully, a lot of 1990s football-inspired gifts. If you do get those, stick them on Twitter. I'd love to see them. Um, Yeah, I told you we'd be back on a more regular basis last time out, and here we are, an extra episode uh, before Christmas. And we do hope to be uh, back to at least a week-by-week or bi-weekly basis in 2017 with more... I've got some great things planned, yeah. Some slightly different shows that we try to to do this time out. I've done more of a one-to-one stuff so far this season. I think that's working quite nicely, um, including today's pod, which we'll go on to in a minute. Uh, but last time out, we had Sid Lambert on the show, um, who was a fantastic guest and has a fantastic uh, new book out. Um, I think if you get a one-day delivery, Amazon Prime, blah, 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 I think you may still be able to get it. It's called Cashing In. Get it before Christmas, I should say. Uh, yeah, it's called Cashing In. Uh, centers around Ray Cash and is a story set in the world of 1990s football so could it be more perfect for this podcast but it really is a good read uh, not just because I helped him out with the forward or anything but genuinely it's a fantastic book um, hopefully there'll be more as well because I know there's, there's possibly more in the pipeline from Sid um, so even if you're not a football fan and I'm not sure why you'd be listening to this if you weren't but if you know someone who just likes a good read this is definitely up their alley fantastic storytelling um, so do check that out um, on Amazon, I don't know if you can still get it before Christmas, but if not, a post-Christmas present, a New Year present, whatever, or even just for yourself, um, it's a good read to check that out. As is the book that spawned this podcast, The Ultimate Guide to the 90s Football Nostalgia Alive and Kicking, also available on Amazon. So why not purchase those couple for whatever reason? It doesn't have to be Christmas. Maybe you got some Christmas money. You listen to this after Christmas and you got some Christmas money from one of you, from Auntie, from Auntie Mildred or someone like that, and you want to spend it on that, do it, because they're two fantastic reads. Um, but we did also on the show, not just self-shamelessly plug our books, we did talk about our 11s of potential players who could have made it in the 90s, um, which was a lot of fun. And unbelievably, me and uh, Sid only picked one player similar in both our teams, which was Richard Wright, but wasn't a hard guess because I think goalkeepers were quite hard to come by uh, back in the day in terms of potential. I think we only come up with two other options, which were Paul Gerrard and Steve Simerson, which... Uh, no disrespect to those guys, they were never really seen in the same potential class uh, as Richard Wright, who's still on Manchester City's books, unbelievably. Um, so we had good fun with that. I'm sure there was players we've missed. Um, we could have done two 11s each, I think, because there's so many names. I think a couple of ones I didn't actually mention on the show that I thought, ah, afterwards were Neil Lamperty. God, he was, he was rated highly, wasn't he? I think, if I remember rightly, I think even Pele thought he was quite good, but... I, you know, that was before Pelé started thinking everybody was, and then he named Nicky Butt, one of his uh, top 100 players once. Nicky Butt, fantastic footballer, but I don't think he was ever quite the enchilos of some of the other players he was mentioning. But yeah, I think he quite rated Neil Lamperty. He was one um, who was at Coventry and Aston Villa. 
Uh, Jamie Forrester, I don't think I mentioned him either. He was quite seen uh, as someone who would go on to do things at Leeds. Again, he was part of that, st- that sticker spread um, in the first Merlin sticker album that was Rising Stars along with him, Darren Caskey, who he mentioned. I think Steve Frogger was on that as well, who went on to have a decent Premier League career but never really made international. I think he'd got a couple of caps. Surprisingly, you see how much of that left side uh, was such a problem for... Uh, England in the 90s, but no, so yeah, it was a great show, many thanks to Sid for coming on, it's a voice you probably know quite well if you're a regular listener to the podcast, Um, so yeah, do check out his book, and check out last week's podcast, because if you haven't, and you're just downloading this because you're a lover of what today's theme is, check it out, because you know, although today's theme is fantastic and very close to my heart, um, last week's show was great, Um, we had Ron Axon on the show before, and the whole of last season as well. If you want to gorge yourself over 90s football during the holiday period, uh, I think we nearly did 40 episodes last season with some great, great guests as well. Um, So why not get involved with that and uh, just, you know, pull up a chair, get yourself a glass of an eggnog or a snowball. I bloody love a snowball. You know, you can't go into a pub and order a snowball. They don't know what it is. But I know it's quite an old drink, but it must come from my uh, my dad who loves it. He's not a massive drinker, but does love a snowball. Um, so, yeah, pull up a pew, get your snowball out, get your festive friends, love those chocolates, or your Thornton's White Snowman, hint, hint, wife, hint, hint, wife, um, and just, yeah, get the headphones on and listen to some 90s football chit-chatter. Um, there's some great shows last each season and some great guests as well. So, um, yeah, download that, subscribe as well. Um, that'd be fantastic. And as I'm mentioning that, Blair, why not... Uh, Give you the housekeeping as I do per usual, and that is that you can follow us on Twitter at AK90s. We're also on Facebook on the same address as well. If you're on iTunes and that's how you listen to your podcasts, um, we are available across all podcast platforms. But if iTunes is your weapon of choice, um, then if you're feeling particularly festive, please, please, please um, subscribe. And if you're even more in a merry mood, which you should be at this brilliant time of year, the most wonderful time, you can tell I'm a Christmas person, um, give us a five star rating and a little review. It helps us out tremendously, helps us get better guests on the show, helps us just get the word out. Because as I said, I think on last time out, um, there's such a big audience for this podcast. I just want to keep it growing. Um, so please do spread the word. I know a lot of you have been enjoying our 90s football advent on uh, AK90s where I've been posting uh, pictures of players in the 90s wearing silly Christmas outfits um, so I hope you've enjoyed that Um, not many players do it now although you know another shameless plug coming if you buy the new issue of Kick magazine which is my uh, day job the biggest selling monthly football magazine for kids we dressed up a certain Everton footballer in a Christmas attire for for an interview which is quite interesting so grab that if you've got any kids who are into football which um, if if not it's still a fantastic it comes with a free limited edition match attacks card as well so if you've got kids you'll definitely know what those cards are so go out get that that's available from all good news agents and supermarkets and stuff Um, it's our player of the year issue as well so um, your votes voted who we thought would be the player of 2016. Um, anyway, that's in that's 2016. That's talk about 90s. That's talk about today's show as well. I know I teased this uh, for a couple of weeks now, but here we are. We're talking kits. Yes, we are. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a subject that, if regular listeners will know, is very, very close to my heart. I do love a football kit. It's one of my favourite times of the year when all the new kits come out in the summer. And it was there a better time for football kits than in the 1990s? Yes, it was crazy, but yes, it was brilliant. Um, we did a show on kits. I think it was one of our first or second shows last season uh, where we did kind of a summary of all the kits, um, bad and good, although to me there isn't any bad ones. 
um, throughout the 90s and uh, we went through all the classics and things like that with some guests in uh, in the studio um, but to, uh, for this show I've, I've got John Devlin back on the show who for any of you kit gurus out there will know John is pretty much the oracle when it comes to kits he's written two another two fantastic books which you could also if you can still get on Amazon get an overnight delivery you should get these as well True Colours they're called um, which is literally just Ill- brilliant illustrations of clubs and kits um, throughout the years so if there's a kit out there that he doesn't know about I'll be bloody surprised because he is the man when it comes to football kits and and we had a little chat a couple of weeks ago that we're going to hear in a minute where we counted down our top five football shirts from the 1990s and to be honest it was a really hard thing to do quite a hard short list to come up with um, very interesting as well because uh, both me and John probably pick kicks you wouldn't expect. Um, I think my number one will be pretty obvious over than that because I've gone on about it pretty much from the start of, of doing AK90s. Um, but I, away from my number one, I think overall, I think you'll be you'll enjoy some of the kits uh, that we go through and we do our top five. So that's coming along in just a second. Um, before we do, I'm just going to switch up a bit because uh, we have an interview as well. Um, on last week's uh, show, we had Sonny Pike, which was a really interesting, kind of different interview from a name that many people may not have remembered, but they may have remembered the story from the 90s. As a young boy, he was signed uh, by Ajax, and he appeared on things from London Tonight and Fantasy Football League, uh, expecting massive things. It didn't quite work out for Sonny, which he tells us on the podcast, and also he'll be telling us in a new book and uh, new documentary, which comes out next year, um, so check that out. But today's guest is someone very familiar to, to fans of 1990s football. He was kind of a stalwart throughout the decade, and one of the best haircuts of the decade as well. I'm going to play that straight away actually because me and uh, John didn't take a breath when we were talking uh, top football kits so there wasn't time to squeeze it in the middle of the end of the uh, show we did um, so I'm going to switch up the kind of uh, schedule that we normally do so I'm going to go straight into the interview before we speak to John um, so today's guest is uh, former West Ham and Manchester City midfielder Ian Bishop now residing in the US he spoke to me uh, a couple of weeks ago on Alive and Kicking. So here is that interview, which will then be followed by the top five football kits of the 90s with myself and John, Lev- and John, oh, John Devlin. Sorry, mate, get your name right. Um, so enjoy that. I will see you on the other side. Oh, I must mention that at the end of the podcast, there's a plug uh, for the following episode, which talks about cashing in. Uh, well, I was going to do these the other way around, but ended up different so ignore that plug but if i don't speak to you actually no i will speak to you on the other side yeah let's do an outro as well so enjoy the interview with ian bishop enjoy the podcast with john devlin and i'll see you on the other side ian bishop welcome to alive and kicking thank you for joining us um you're known pretty much as a west ham legend uh, for your time in the 90s what do you remember uh, of your time and how fondly do you do you look back on those times at west ham during that period well it was uh, it was turbulent wasn't it in in the early stages after three months, my manager got fired. Um, <laughs> Lured to me in, and um, I wondered what was going on. But somebody like Billy Bond stepping in, you know, I always felt it was a family club, and he was the right man at, at that time. I don't think there would have been any other option, to be fair. Um, then to keep it back in the family, you know, after after Lou had been in, and and the, the, the well, it was turmoil, wasn't it, for that few months. Uh, with the problems that was going on. Um, you know, I'd, uh, looking back at, in the beginning, I don't think I settled as quick as I'd like to. Um, I know I was sort of in and out form-wise. I just had six months at a new club previously where I'd, you know, 
I'd gone from having a year at Bournemouth to six months at City, and then all of a sudden I was at another club, which was my third club in one year. Mm. So for me personally, it was a little bit, you know, it was um, difficult, to be honest with you. But once I settled, I knew that I'd made the right choice and, and that West Ham was the right club for me. Mm. What are your what are your highlights from that period? What, what, what certain games or certain goals do you, do you remember most fondly? Well, it wasn't it wasn't long before we had that that cup run where you know we we beaten Everton in the quarters and and the, what is to me a historic event at Villa Park because I've never before or since seen or heard anything like it the way the supporters were it sort of solidified to me exactly what I came into and the type of club that I was going to be playing for and I think that was that was the beginning of me sort of saying. I never want to play for another club, sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, the atmosphere at Upton Park, the midweek games, everything like that that you, you know, you look back on. It's really hard to look back now. Uh, I was just talking to someone the other day when you're watching the games, and it's it's like it never happened, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Sometimes you get that feeling that, oh, did I really do that? But you know, I've, I'm I'm in the process of actually moving into a. I moved back down to Florida from Virginia and I'm, I'm going through all my stuff in storage and I found all my shirts and stuff and my son's just about to take them uh, up to where he lives in Orlando and uh, it just brought everything back and this was only in the last couple of days, mate, so uh, you do get them feelings, you know? Mm, and yeah. obviously last March, last March coming back and actually getting on the field at Nobs' testimonial, um... I never thought I'd have a chance to run out of Upton Park again, but uh, it happened, you know, and it was an amazing day for me personally just to do that. Obviously, an amazing day with the people that were there and the atmosphere. And and then to be there at the last game, the Man United game, to be invited back by the club, um, you know, just reiterated to me the time I had and nine years. And some people don't realise that it was nine years, you know. Mm. It was a long time. It is a very long time. I mean, it is a long time as well, especially in that decade that we always say kind of it changed so much. And for you on the pitch, did you notice how much football, I mean, with the sky money and the new big signings that used to come in during that time? Did you? How did you feel how football changed during that time? Well, it was the uh, initiation of the foreign players coming in as well, mm. wasn't it? Uh, we had the bond scheme stuff going on. So it was never quiet, was it? <laughs> No, not at all. We, never quite, we had the changeover of the managers and, and Billy and Harry and, you know, all, all that. We had the, the coming through of superstars like Rio and Young Frank and, you know, um, I, I, I just thought it, it was a natu- natural growth. But I was just happy that I could stick in there as long as I could, you know, to play 300 games. is no mean feat. Uh, especially when there was a lot of comings and goings, a lot of players coming in, going out. I uh, I, I know, speaking speaking to other people and speaking to agents at the time, there was clubs interested in me. I had no intention of going anywhere else. I remember having a conversation with Harry when I was trying to sort a new deal out and I told him that I knew there was other interest and I could have got more money, but I just wanted to stay at the club. And uh, I just felt at the time that he should have looked after me accordingly and I said I just want to be brought in line and he said well that's your own fault 
Mm. It was a bit strange at the time, like, but it was my own fault that I ignored other other places for more money to stay at the club. You know, um, when I blow my own trumpet, mate, I, I went through a lot of pain and injuries. Never really missed many games. Never missed much much training. You know, I, play, I played for six months with a double hernia, just because Harry had asked me that. He said I was important to the team. And, you know, the relegation fights that we were having, you know, so much so, uh, you know, I remember the last game against Cambridge when we, we went up for the first time when I was there. I think it was the first time. I'd done my ankle ligaments in the first half and I'd said to the physio, don't, I'm not coming off. It's Strap it so I can't feel my foot. And I ended up playing the whole game and while everyone was celebrating, getting on the pictures in the dressing room, I was in a treatment table on my own, you know. <laughs> well, that, that wouldn't happen now, would it? Those sort of things. So it, it, it wouldn't, and, and I'm not putting players down today, mate. If anything, you know, I, I've got no grievances about what they earn. I think maybe we should have earned a bit more, um, rather than them not earning as much. You know, I felt money was coming into the clubs, and like you say, the transition with Sky and all that, somebody was getting the money. I honestly believe now, especially being in the states for this long, and I look at what their athletes have been getting and how long. Their pay structure's been like that. Why should it be any different in the best the best league in the world mm. and the, the best sport in the world? Yeah. Why should it be any different to the basketball, baseball, American football here? You know, if the revenue's coming in, why not give it to the performers? Mm. Nah. You know, I mean, I mean I, I'm a big believer in take care of the supporters also. You know, the way prices have gone and, and things like this, how expensive it is for a family to go. You know, I believe... That needs uh, redoing and re-looking at, you know, especially now that the revenue from the TV is what it is. But, but you know, I mean, players today, it, it is a, a much quicker game. I wouldn't say it was a more skillful game. You know, when, when people ask me the question, let's say, hypothetically, Maradona or Messi, who's the best player? I said, well, Mar- Maradona had to do it in an era where people got away with chopping you down. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? That's a big difference for me. So the players today, it, it obviously is better. They're playing on better pitches. You know, it, everyone can play today. If you can't play the game the way it's supposed to play today, you won't start, you know? Whereas back in our time, it was, you know, you know, the big lumps for centre-halves. Mm. It was the transition, I think, the likes of Timmy Brakin and Julian. They were two fullbacks who do what the fullbacks in the modern game today do, you know. Mm, very underrated players, both of them. Talking to players as well, Definitely. I mean, who of that era, I mean, who are the best players that you played against and the best players that you played alongside? I, I well, you know, you, you can't get away from luck. Liam Brady was my hero, mm. one of my heroes growing up. And to get to have a couple of games alongside him, just to watch him train, was unreal for me, you know. Um, Julian, I think, like you said, was underrated, but he had everything. Strong, you know, just his attitude on the field was second to none. Never shared any responsibility, whether it be penalties, whether it be a challenge, and and was had a better touch than people give him, give him credit for. I'm not saying people say he didn't, but I just don't believe people mention it because he stood out for other things, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. playing yeah. alongside Slav even. His organisation and his motivation, and I always knew he'd be a manager. You know, like to Timmy, Tre- Trevor, 
to me, doesn't get the recognition he deserved. And I've watched him do a piece for Norwegian TV where he's gone round the streets to West Ham fans and said, who's the leading scorer in the last 25 years at West Ham or the last 20 years or whatever it was? And it's him. And nobody really knew it. And even when he said Trevor Morley, they've said they didn't even recognise who he was, you know. Uh, but I think it's on YouTube, mate. It's a funny piece, but... I would have to say that. Uh, you know, the likes of... Uh, Paolo Futre, little Hugo coming in, and Danny, that type of player that Harry wanted, although they didn't really stand out, you know? And then you look at players who you played against, and you, you look at Chiera, Letizier, Hoddle, Cantona, Bergkamp, uh, Zola. I, I'm, I'm, I'm missing people out who were fantastic, you know? Yeah. Skulls, gigs. It, it, it's not a question you can answer straight away, because... Yeah. So many names. You probably need to sit down and go through every team at the time. And then there was different players that had, you know, different attributes that, that you admired, you know? There might have been midfield players like Batty who, who did the other side of the job that I did admire. Roy Keane, you know? Yeah. These people who who did it at a time, you know, I ended up playing alongside George Uwein at Man City for a bit. It was World Football of the Year, two years running in the mid-90s. You know, yeah, big player, there's, big there's so many, mate. If, yeah. if, me, I've probably left people like that. Uh, yeah, some people some great names there, Ian. Absolutely great names. We can't leave you, though, without talking about your famous locks. How did you keep your hair in such good shape? And was it always just a, <laughs> did it become a trademark for you in the 90s? It, it did, mate. You know what it is? I mean, if you look at today and all the weirdness that goes on and the way people look, I, I just wanted to be different. I wanted to stand out. You know, I never particularly liked getting my hair cut as a youngster. Um, I always felt when I watched footballers, and maybe that was it growing up through the 70s, when you seen them move and run. Mm. And, and, you know, there might have been pictures taken with their hair standing out and sticking out. And I don't know whether that was it, but one of my early heroes was Charlie George. And I remember in 71 when he scored the winner against Liverpool and he had the long hair. And, of course, yeah. You know, it was just, it was one of them things. And, and when I came into the game, just let it be and then I mean I got dogs abuse because I was one of the very few well we remember it fondly well, um, I always you need to stand out yeah oh, I when you have a bad game you've had a shocker <laughs> it definitely did um, you've had a good one people think you've had a great game so I just wanted to be different yeah nothing wrong with that finally what what are you up to now I know you, you said you're, you're in America what, what are you up to these days I've just, uh, I was running a club up in Virginia. I was trying to structure a club up there, a youth program up there. And uh, I miss Florida too much, mate. I've had nine years down here. And my two boys are, are based over here. I figured, you know, four foot of snow in the winter that we had up there last year didn't help neither. So I've decided to relocate back down to Florida. I'm going to set up a company which I can't really say too much about. It should be out very, very shortly. I've developed a training tool for young kids. Oh, okay. And I'm on the brink of yeah, I'm on the brink of getting it out there. So if that if that takes off, I'm looking to fly back and speak to some uh, big sports companies in England. I've got uh, meetings lined up with Dick Sporting Goods over this side in the states, and and hopefully it'll all take off. It's something that works that I think is is needed. Brilliant. It's looking at aimed at aimed at grassroots players, you know, from four years to maybe eight, nine, ten, and. Uh, it's a simple idea, mate, but I mean, I really can't talk too much about it. Okay, um, cool. Well, we we'll look forward to hearing we'll about it.
I'm playing a little bit of poker as well. Oh, okay, brilliant. Well, great stuff, Dan. Great memories there for speaking to you, Ian. Thanks so much. Good luck with the new venture, um, and we'll speak to you soon. Always a pleasure, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Ian. Bye-bye. Ta-da, mate. ta So let's bring him in then. The Kit Oracle himself. He is the author of two fantastic books called True Colours, as well as work everywhere else you can find it. Backpage magazine, Kick magazine itself as well. So all if you've seen kits being drawn, they're usually by this man, Mr. John Devlin. Welcome to Alive and Kicking. Welcome back, sir. Hello, Ash. How are you? I'm good. Very well. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all, thanks. Good, good, good. We were discussing pre-show about the... We both live in Maidstone, which is in Kent. It's a horrible one-way system, but we're both working home today, avoiding it, aren't we? Yeah, that's it. Nice and easy. Yeah, nice and easy. <laughs> Anyone who lives near Maidstone, just go, don't do it. Just don't do it. Go in there. It's horrible at the moment. But we're not talking about Maidstone. We are talking about 90s football kits today. Uh, an era which was absolutely fantastic for football kits. Probably one of the best in terms of how how garish they were. We did a podcast last season that John was on himself that we kind of went briefly through them. But today we're going to pick our favourites. And there's a couple that you guys, regular listeners, will know that I'll definitely pick. But I'm sure John's got some, some great ones as well. Before we do, though... As we always do on I Have and Kick In, we'll do our next part of football CVs with John here. So it's been a long time since we were on at the start of last season, but I think with yeah. second time around is games. Uh, being a Liverpool fan, John, favourite game from the 90s for Liverpool? Well, I think, I mean, everyone talks about the games against Newcastle. Of course, yeah. And obviously that's in there. But the one that I really love was the 3-3 against Man United mm. at Anfield um, when Liverpool were 3-0 down. Clough scored twice. And then Ruddock scored. And what I watched it again this morning. And what always makes me laugh is that you look back over these games and, and goals, and it's actually the whole commentary, the aftermatch, the celebration, everything becomes part of the goal, doesn't it? And seeing Ruddock holding his head and dazed and confused after he scored that late equal that late equaliser, it's all part of the whole experience. And that's I think that's the game that I I sort of have fond memories of. Yeah, I'm I'm with you actually. I mean, obviously the Newcastle one gets so much, you know, Sky's greatest ever game, blah blah blah, game so, of the decade, but. I remember that one really vividly, and it's because Ruddock and his like half days look as Jamie Redknapp <laughs> tries to jump on him. That's it. Yeah, yeah. it was a great game, and May Night wearing their black kit as well. We've been talking we about kits. That was a great kit from the nineties. Their black one as well. So and the first and the first black one as well. Yes, cause, yes, because the referees are wearing green, weren't yeah. they? If I that's remember it. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. Big deal. Yeah, and Scotland quickly because when you know we're you, it's very rare we have a Scotland fan on, but would there be a game <laughs> from the nineties? Looking back, I think the two, uh, uh, it's bittersweet, the 1-0 win over England in 1999 with Don Hutchison didn't take us anywhere, of course, because England winning 2-0 in the first leg of the qualifiers, but still a special game and uh, fond memories. And of course, 1-0 against Germany, Don Hutchison again. Of course, yeah. Yeah, unusual and of course an unnecessary uh, wearing of the away kit for Scotland, which soured it a little bit, but you know, a 1-0 win over Germany, you can't Mm. complain. Yeah, let's just take it to modern day. While you mentioned that, just quickly, Jim, what was your take on them wearing the the pink kit last uh, last week for the England game? I mean, ridiculous decision, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I do you know what, Ash? I was appalled by it. not because of the pink kit. I don't particularly like it, but if it was pink, red, white, mm. white, obviously, whatever colour it was, Scotland, England, seeing them walking up on that pitch, and I knew it was going to be bad. Do you know what? People say I'm an old drama queen, but that made me feel sick seeing them coming out on the pitch playing not wearing blue against white it makes no sense you know it really spoils it for me yeah fifa and their ridiculous decisions we won't even get into the poppies um so that's just cool overall in the 90s um away from liverpool and scotland is the game that, that stands out for you um i always remember 
the one the game I wrote, was it Man United Newcastle? Was it five nil? Yep, yep. St James Park, yep. That's the one. That's one that really sticks in my head from a just sort of one of the few games me and my chums went down the pub to watch it, and neither of us are fans of either club, but it was a it was a, an incredible game, and you it one of those games. The nineties seemed to fling up more than any other decade. When you stood there scratching your head, thinking, "What's going on?" You know, do you know what I mean? No other decade seems to have quite as many of those sorts of games. Right, yeah, and that goal, of course, the, the Philip Albert goal, and then Martin Tyler's comment, "You Philip Albert." I mean, it's, yes. it's brilliant. Yeah, great game. It's a shame Newcastle didn't go on to to capitalise on such a, a brilliant result. Um, but let's talk about football kits then. So we've both made a list of our top five of the decade. We're hoping they might not cross, but if they do, we've I've got a backup or two just in case. Um, but let's start with you, John, then. Um, I've put mine in order. I don't know if you put them in a particular order, but let's go for your, say, fifth choice or number five in your top five of the 90s. Okay. Number f- this was really, really difficult. I found this incredible. So did I, yeah. Because I think whenever you look at any aspect of kits, you think, well, there's not much mileage here. But of course, as soon as you scratch the surface, it's a Pandora's box. There's, there's stacks of stuff to talk about. Number five for me, bit of an obscure one, maybe. Darby County. Derby County away, ninety-seven, ninety-nine. Okay, yeah. But if you remember it, it was a it was an amber shirt um, with blue and white trim uh, taping down each sleeve. Little crew neck, sponsored, I think, by EDS one season and Puma and the other season. It was really simple, but at, at that, that point in the decade, everything was was going crazy in terms of pattern and colour. And I think for Derby to have this really retro-looking sort of 60s, 70s style of shirt. It just it just leapt out a mile and 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 its sheer class, I, I just couldn't believe it wasn't you know the greatest kit of the season, a real favourite of mine. Yeah, that's one actually. I've um yeah, it's, I've just I'll just refresh my memory on on the on the internet. Um, but yeah, I remember that one because I mean amber is such an, a difficult colour to get right as well, isn't it? I mean, very yeah. few kits are you can obviously other than Blackpool who have it as their home kit. It, it's a kit that's a colour that's hard to get right, but very traditional, um, as you say. Yeah, that one's kind of escaped my memory. Kind of like the Derby kits at that time as well. They're all quite nice, weren't they? That's right, they were. I mean, Puma, and again, you look you look back at the nineties, and I think more than any other decade again, you see certain sportswear companies really hitting a gold period and I think Puma had it Patrick had it as well even a bit of Lecoq Sportif certain firms and ASICs of course in the early part of the decade and Puma again at that period you know they could do no wrong as far as I was concerned no, it was a good. It was a good era of premium. A good one to start off there, John. Really retroy kind of one that not many people thought. I will put all these on Twitter as well um, once we've mm. spoken, and so everyone can see uh, what we're talking about as well. Um, for my number five, um, I struggle for this last place because there's so many that I could have chose from for so many different reasons. Um, l- the laced kits of the early '90s, I could have put them in as a whole. Uh, the <laughs> Aston Villa, the Sheffield United, the Man United kits. I just loved the laced collars. Yeah. I'd love them to come back. Obviously, health and safety gone mental in 2016. Um, they're not allowed. I don't think players particularly like them as well. So I'm going to go semi-obvious, I think, for my number five. Um, big fan of Brazil's home and away kit. So I'm going to lump them in together from the 1994 World Cup. Um, oh, do you know what? I'm going to have to refresh my memory on those ones, Ash. I'll go for it. I'll, you, I'll talk away while you refresh. I mean, a lot of these hold personal kind of... I've got personal nostalgia with these. And obviously, if England weren't in the 94 World Cup. The 94 World Cup is one of my favourite World Cups anyway. Um, for some reason, I decided I'll support Brazil. Well, the only time in my life I've been a glory hunter, I've been a QPR fan. And and I got hold of the shirt. I can't remember how I did it. I think my mum just gave in and gave me the shirt. And I had this, this golden, proper golden Brazil shirt. Um, and it was 
like a polo style collar, um, which I think a lot of the Umbro ones had at the time. I think the England kit at the time had the polo collar, the one that we didn't wear because we weren't in the World Cup. Um, I think it was a similar style. Um, it was very shiny. Um, it had the indent of the Brazil flag all over in, in the sort of in the shirt of the not the flag, sorry, the badge. Um, sure. the, obviously, the classic Brazil badge on the on the show, on the on the heart. Um, and then a proper green crossover collar. And it just, yeah, it, I, I just remember it shining. I know that sounds, but the material was so thin. It was probably on the replica version. But and it was just such a stunning kit. And obviously they did so well in that World Cup. And Bibeto, Romario, all yeah, that gang. Yeah. And it just sort of all rolled into one. What do you think? John, do you remember that now? You refreshed your memory? I do. Because I, I was still thinking laces. And I was thinking, I don't remember Brazil wearing a lace top shirt. Well, yeah, what, what's great about the shirt as well is the, what I liked it's a variation. When, when we started seeing the Umbro logo, the double diamonds were ditched and we had a big, massive Umbro text logo. It's just something different, isn't it? It just makes another point of interest on the on the design. But I think one thing you've, you've said here is that you can look at pictures of kits all day long, as I like to do. Yeah, me too. Until, until you see them in the flesh and you're holding them, you don't always get the full glory of them. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there by saying how shiny it was. And that's... You know, that's the quality that leaps out at you. You might not get that looking at a photo. So it's always kind of good to see kits in, in the flesh, if you yeah. like, as much as you can. Yeah, and obviously now that they won the World Cup, it's one of those shirts that you go on eBay that it's, it's quite expensive to buy again because it's become one of those sort of right. recognisable shirts. But the away kit as well, I mean, I'm a partial to a blue shirt yeah. anyway because blue's my favourite colour, being a KPR fan, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that it mimicked it. So I, I, we disagree on this, John. I know that when home kits and away kits kind of mimic the design but different colours, you, you like that, don't you, as a uniform effect? And it's, do you know what? It's starting to come back again. Yeah. I, I, was doing, I was doing some work on... Um, I'm doing a regular thing. This is an awful plug, I know. On do Twitter, it. it's sort of illustrating what every team's wearing each week because I get fascinated by shorts changing and mm. stuff. And looking at championship level, there's lots of... Keep teams doing that now, where the away kits are mirroring the home. But you're, you're, you're not a fan of that, though, Ash. Well, I, when it's done well, yeah, yeah. and, and I just don't like them to be too similar. I, if it's if it's enough that the coloured variation is so different that you, you kind of takes it away from the same design, I'm happy with that. The QPR um, away kit this season is very similar to the home kit, but the the colour of it, being it yeah. it's silly that it's blue and we've only worn it once, but that's, that's neither here or there. It's a stunning-looking <laughs> kit. Um, the the third kit's disgusting, but we have to wear that more often. Um, the the burgundy one is not very nice I, at all. I like that. I like all the dry world, uh, dry world stuff. Yeah. Oh, I think overall, dry world have done a fantastic job, much better than Nike did over the last couple of years. And even okay. Watford's kits are very nice as well. I think yeah. Yeah. nice new player into the game as well. I'm very happy with them. But yeah, but I generally I just like them to be two like two completely different kits. But this Brazil sort of home and away combo where they were pretty much the same for the 1994 World Cup. And the blue with the white collar. I think that's the famous one that you first ever saw the baby rocking celebration in the quarterfinal yeah, against Holland. Um, so yeah, I think as a as a combo for me and how they felt out ninety four and how much I loved that Brazil team and that World Cup for me that would be my number five. So over to back to you, John. Um, what's fourth on your list? Goodness, right. This is this is now getting tough because I've actually got six. And I don't quite know Ooh. how to put this down. Right, <laughs> I might I'm give you a go, bonus one then. I'm going to go talking about laces and it kind of follows on a bit obvious i know man united home 92 94 amazing well it was just it was the first kit umbro did this postmodern approach to kit design where instead of just moving forward as a progression they looked back for influence and they and obviously they went way back to the 20s um early part of the day of the, the century 
and brought back laces. And I mm. think it was the first Umbro shirt for United. They'd not won the league, had they, for oh, 20 or 25 years? 26 years, years, I, years I think it was. Yeah. And uh, Adidas were out, Umbro were in, first season, and they win it. And I just think everything about that shirt was right. You know, it, of course it's of its time, but it had that perfect mix of contemporary, it had the, the, the uh, geometric um, 3D shadow pattern throughout mm. big fit it was a really big size wasn't it big shorts yeah. and of course that, that lace up collar which you know Umbro did so so well against uh, across many of their clubs at the time and when you look at what they achieved in it and the birth of that you know Alex Ferguson golden era Oh, it's just brilliant, a brilliant kit. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like I said, all the lace collars were kind of on my list, but I'm glad you've picked that one because I think being Man United, it's the one that people remember the most. I mean, the Aston Villa one was very nice. The the Ipswich Town one, actually, I remember that being quite a nice oh, kit. Oh, yeah, of course. Another level. But yeah, I, I saw a picture the other day. I think someone tweeted it at AK90s, and it was Eric Cantona um, standing there, kind of looking to camera, so sort of a moody <laughs> shot, but he was wearing that kit, and it kind of just summed up how kind of cool... But retro yeah. at the same time that kit was just the, I don't know what the effect laces had on a football kit and, and it's it's look but it just made it look so classic but so cool at the same time and so sort of um, I don't know is it flamboyant for the sake of it Do you yeah. know what I mean yeah. they didn't, didn't really serve a purpose they were just there and I think the fact that they were just there was enough you know yeah obviously they haven't done it again I think maybe there was cause of people pulling the laces. I suppose it's an easy thing to do once they're sort of hanging down from the shirt, I suppose. And also they probably get in the way of the players once yeah, they're running along. Yeah. And some mindless health and safety rules as well, I bet why they've never been allowed again. But I, yeah, complete agreement. I think again, like the Brazil kit, the fact that Man United won the league that season in that kit as well, it holds it in higher regard. Um, and I just, yeah, I think that range of Umbro, we're doing, Umbro are doing very well with us at the moment, aren't they? Two in a row. Um, it just, yeah, it just shows uh, what, a, what a good sort of design idea that was at the time. Good shout, John. Good shout they, on that one. Thank you. I mean, they, they dominated that period in terms of kit design. We talked about all the other firms having their little, you know, golden periods, but Umbro, early 90s, crikey, you can't beat it. Mm, tip, yeah, it's good to see them making a bit of a comeback at the moment as well. Um, so my number four, um, I'm, I'm not going Umbro, I'm going Nike. Um, so mm. quite middle of the decade. And I always this is one of the moments at school I always remember really randomly it just stands out we used to have lunch in a hut um, so we yeah, were talking <laughs> south east London so at the time technology wasn't what it was so our you know sort of port, sort of cabin type thing was our lunch room and there I am sort of how old was I been at the time sort of 12, 13 maybe eating my lunch already a kit geek loving kits loving match shoot every week looking to see what new kits are coming out didn't have Twitter and anything to look at then to, to break yeah. the news and somebody walks in, I think it was in the year above me, one of the hard kids actually, so I wouldn't have said a word to him even if I wanted to. But he walked <laughs> in with this blue Arsenal kit. And that just kind of, I've looked at it and I was kind of, I, I could, could double taking. You know, I thought it was fake. And then he turned around and I could see, not only did it have on the back um, Arsenal written in their classic lettering, it had these amazing lightning strikes across right. the front of it. And it was the Arsenal away kit. I think it's 90, uh, 95, 96. Yeah, uh, yeah, one of the first Nike kits because Nike were quite late, weren't they, in kit producing, especially in the nineties. It was kind of after the ninety-four World Cup when they did all the boots or the Tiempo boots for for that World Cup range. And then you got the Devil advert, and and they really started to come in. And Arsenal were the first uh, major team to have Nike in this kit, so it was navy blue um, mainly. Nice again, polo collar. I seem to be going with a lot of that. That was wasn't even intentional, but clearly I like a polo collar. Um, and the navy blue shorts, but it was this lightning effect um, to the side of the shirt that was in a kind of, 
I don't even know what blue to call it. It wasn't quite sky. It wasn't quite royal blue. And it was really kind of lightning blue. And it just, again, I imagine, I remember John Hartson in it, Dennis Burkamp, and it just completely stood out as a unique Arsenal kit. Because up to then, I was just Arsenal wearing yellow. That was their standard sort of away yeah. colour. I mean, they, had, they flirted with green, didn't they, in the mid-80s? But um, that was kind of before my time, especially at that point. But that kit, um, for me, oh, I look at it now, I still think, wow. How about you, John? Oh, that's an interesting I mean, what what I think is is fun as well is that you talk about how a kit has brought up all sorts of memories, not necessarily football related. And I think it's a great example of how a, a shirt and a kit becomes iconic and symbolises eras. You know, you're talking about you, you can remember where you were at school when you saw it. I've got a similar feeling when I look back on it and I remember being outraged by it, thinking, "Hang on a minute." You know, they had a they had a kit in that colour because they used that colour scheme the year before. Yeah, they did. In a yeah. straightforward yeah. Um, mirror of the home kit. Mm. And to see it, you think, oh no, this is some mistake because one, one year kit cycles were still fairly new at that point. Mm. You know, we were still looking for two years. And I couldn't, probably like you, I almost couldn't believe it was real. I thought, is this a training top or yeah. what's going on? But yeah, I mean, and again, it's a, a masterstroke by Nike. What they did with that zigzag, the lightning bolt, they had it going through all of their Arsenal kits for those two years, 94 to 96. And it's a great example of taking a a graphic element and kind of attaching it to a club and saying, well, this is going to be part of your kit branding for a while. And I think they took it to its sort of nth degree with that shirt. And of course, it always makes me wonder if it came out now, what would the, what would the reaction online be? Would you know? It's it's quite bold, wasn't it, for the time? Very bold. When you see reaction to some of the kits now and people go mental for them, you think, well, yeah, I can get where <laughs> yeah. you're coming from, but really, like, yeah, go back to the '90s and see, you know, look at the Nottingham Forest away kit from '95, '96, and the abstract nonsense that was, you know, things yes. like that. Yeah, and, and, and this one was right up there with that, wasn't it? Definitely, I was, but but still, it was done with real style, though, yeah. wasn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't. Some of these were. I mean, Umbra went through their slightly uh, Jackson Pollock phase of just sort of almost randomness, but this was actually quite considered. And uh, and, and again, that blue uh, was it teal? Was it turquoise? Yeah. It was like a, it was a really difficult one to pin down. So it's a, a really good choice. I've just googled it. Electric blue seems to be the the word that they were using. I suppose that makes sense when it's uh, when it's meant to be a lighting bolt. But yeah, well, a, a man of my age, electric blue meant something very different. <laughs> yeah, <like> <laughs> of course. A, a fantastic show for Arsenal. Yeah, the home kit. I've, I've forgot they had a kind of lightning kit, even though it wasn't quite as bold, was it? It was kind of more indent into the shirt, wasn't it? The the lightning on the home kit. That's right. But yeah, like great the shadow pass. And I think Ian Wright didn't he used to tuck the collar with polo collar yes. in. Yeah. So we had so it had the classic Arsenal crew neck, which yeah, again, you know, he he had a real sense of uh, heritage, I think, Ian Wright, and I think that's what he was nodding towards with that. Yeah. Apart from in his music video where he wear the most ridiculous hat you've ever seen, but that's for another <laughs> podcast. Um, number three on your list, John. Oh dear. Right. Okay. I'm going to go. Talked about. It's funny. Every time you mention a team, my next choice is one <laughs> you just mentioned. I'm going to go for Forest, and it's another Umbro one. Um, ninety-two, ninety-four home. The pinstripes. Um, pinstripes. Oh. It was all red. So no contrasting collar, which again, you know, always kind of stands out a little bit, bizarrely enough, doesn't it? So all red, white pinstripes, the cut of the shirt, the cut of the collar, placket, button placket down the front. That had a very retro, mm. early, you know, um, 30s, 40s feel to it. But again, it was just so stylish. It, it really was. And, it, and you look at it and, and the fact it was so big and baggy, um, the bat sponsorship, and I think Shipstones as well on on, on some yes. games. 
again, it just sums up that era. It's Clough's last game, last home game. You've got Collymore, King, Kingsley Black, players that, you know, are typically 90s players. And uh, I, I just loved it. I mean, Umbro, at that period, as we said, were doing some brilliant stuff. And to bring back pinstripes in such a fantastic way, yeah, really, really good kit. No, I'm glad you chose that one, actually, because that was on my shortlist. Oh, okay. and, and you know what? It's one of those shirts. It's really hard to describe why it just looks so cool like it to look at it it's very simple it's a you know yeah. a nice red shirt pinstripes polar style collar and it's but it just looked very very cool and i think forest had a lot of nice kits in the 90s <laughs> uh, i like again i think the one after that with the big black blocks that went down the the, the the sides of the shirt that was also a very nice shirt but that pinstripe one which reminds me of the the first ever super sunday actually uh, at the city so. ground with teddy sheringham scored the, the winner against Liverpool in a 1-0 win. And Liverpool were in their green kit, which is another one I really, really liked of that decade as well. Because, again, another really weird colour. Again, I don't even know what kind of green that was. Very Liverpool green. Carlsberg um, green, maybe. Yeah, very... Yeah. I thought it might have been candy at that point. I think it was the first year. Rumour has it they knew Carlsberg were coming. And... Oh, I don't know if that's true or not, but they knew Carlsberg were coming and they, it was a kind of a nod towards it. I don't uh, know. That, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, that's why I agree. Looking at the forest one again, it, it's again it's it's so well considered. And looking at the detail, you've got pinstripes on the collar as well, and you've got that little phase, which I I kind of liked at the time, having the badge within an extra shield. Do you remember yeah, that? So I, I do. Like, yeah, massive crest um, with the, the club badge in the middle of it. Again, it's it's so nineties, and it's a little you know little genre in its own right. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I loved Forest in the nineties. They're like they were like my second team, just because I used to love Steve Stone. Used to think he was brilliant. I actually voted Steve Stone above Ronaldo in my team of the decade. How ridiculous is that? Really? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not my hairstyle on him, so it can't be all. It can't yeah, be all. Well, why not? Steve Stone, legend. Um, right, number. What well, my number three now? Okay, yes. Yeah, so again, I suppose this is a pretty obvious one. I'm going Man United again, and this was kind of sort of reimbursed into our memories, kind of last year when Adidas took over the the contract with Man United again. Um, and I actually went to the kit launch of that for, for Kick Magazine, which was great. Well done, Adidas. But w- around the kind of area that we were in, this weird little bar, they had kits that they did back in the sort of late 80s and early 90s. I just went in there knowing that the only shirt I wanted to put my eyes on was the away kit from 92 onwards. And that Maple Leaf Canada-looking shirt that, oh, it's just amazing. Absolutely kind of this weird purpley-blue colour uh, you don't, I don't even, again, what, what sort of colour was that? You don't kind of really see it very often. And it was kind of plastered all over the Man United shirt. It reminds me of Lee Sharp scoring a hat-trick against Arsenal very many moons ago in the League Cup. An absolutely sort of one-off shirt for Manchester United. Sorry if you can hear my dog in the background. I think the postman <laughs> has just arrived. But instead of just re-record, I'm just going with it. Um, yeah, for me, Man United, away kit, sort of Maple Leaf Canada-esque. I think they've done sort of a retro tracksuit. And also this season's yeah, kit yeah, kind yeah. of is a nod to it. The away kit's got that kind of pattern on the shorts as well, if I remember rightly. But for me, I look yeah. at that kit now and I'm still like, wow. Do you know what? It's really funny. I, I think, but incidentally, my, my invite to that kit launch was probably lost in the post. For Damn, Adidas. Day, but, but, <laughs> but no, you're, you're absolutely right. I was, It always reminded me of a tree trunk at the time, that pattern. It had that kind of like tree bark pattern to it, didn't it? The black kind of speckles all over it. And moved the huge United crest on the side as well. 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, it could be tree barks. Yeah, I like that actually. But yeah, that had that kind of feel. But it's it wouldn't be one of my favourites. I must admit. But it's it's one of those forgotten shirts because I think they brought in the black one, and I always got the feeling that the black one was was rushed in because they could because they needed to get this black um, shirt out there. Yeah. And of course, then they had the Newton Heath uh, golden green one. Another great kit with laces. Yeah. So I think it's a good shout, and actually, it mirrors my you know ninety two ninety four home shirt. Um, but a forgotten kit, I would say, though, Ash. Yeah, I, I, I think when I talk to people about it, I think they have the same reaction. I sort of remember, they go, oh, yeah, but it's always just... I think because it's very un-Man United. I really like that when away shirts kind of... Again, I think I've gone that with the Arsenal shirt as well. Don't remind you of the club that they kind of should be. It's, again, like the Chelsea classic granite kit from the 90s, the orange and granite. You kind of think, oh, right, yeah, is that Chelsea? It's It kind of adds an extra element to the kit. And I recently bought a mug um, from the guys of Proper Magazine. Shout out to them. Very, very kind of retro kind of magazine. And it's got the pattern of the Man United kit on it. I've also got one of the Arsenal banana kit and the Liverpool candy kit from the oh. early 90s as well. So, yeah. Uh, I will tweet. I'd like to see those. Tweet I will tweet. Yeah, I will tweet them out. Yeah, they're little plastic mugs from Proper Magazine. Um. Yeah, I'm not a fan of any of those clubs, but I just love those kits. And that one was very much of it. And I can still see Lee Sharp doing his little wiggle in the corner flag in that shirt. <laughs> Ryan Giggs as well. I mean, it's very early Man United of that decade. Um, so uh, did they wear it? I think they wore it in a cup final. I think they wore it in one of the League Cup. The winner over Nottingham Forest. I think that 92. No, I, I think they had a couple of wins. I mean, they won at, I think they won at Liverpool that season and Arsenal as well. I don't remember being. I don't remember being in a high-profile game. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, it's yeah, mm. very much uh, a kit. So final two then, um, John. Second place for you in your kit of the nineties. Oh, oh I did. yeah. Now this is. I mean, it's probably going to look quite plain, and people will go, "Oh, right, okay." It's Bolton's home kit, nineteen ninety-three. Okay. Now this is one of those designs that I've always loved, and I, I remember distinctly. I mean, I was a kit freak for years, and when it came out, I thought, "Wow." Because, again, it, it bucked the trend of what was going on at the time. We started to see patterns and, and asymmetrical looks and everything else coming in. This was so plain and simple. It, again, it looked like it came out of another decade. It was made by Match Winner. Okay, yeah. Uh, I've got it in now. Yeah, okay. And one of the things that I really loved about it was just its simple beauty. It was just so plain, so simple, but so stylish. And with all due respect to Bolton, it wouldn't be necessarily... You know, what you'd expect from a team like Bolton. I don't know. I mean, sponsored by Reebok, so it had a really, at the time, a you know, really cool logo on the front mm. as well. But the big deal for me was the match winner logo placed on one sleeve and the crest standing alone over the heart. Yeah, I've just so seen that. Have, yeah. We didn't have that typical, you know, left and right, which I think kit design needs a bit of a shake-up as far as that goes at the moment. It's, it's stayed pretty static for some years now. But when you look back on it and you look at what was around it at the time, Similar, similar to that derby kit I mentioned, when a shirt stands out in context from the others, that gives it a real class feel for me. And it lasted three years, so it obviously did something right as well, which was you know quite unusual. But yeah, a bit of an obscure choice maybe. But again, perfect balance of colour, the navy and the red working well. And um, yeah, a real favourite of mine. Yeah, it's one, I'm looking at it now, um, wasn't really aware of it. I kind of remember it at the time because Bolton were kind of a lower league team. That's the, right, at that yeah. point, weren't they? So, it very, yeah, it's very plain. And I see what you mean about the logo. Because that's the first thing I looked, I looked at. I can notice that the logo was on the shoulder or the sleeve more than on the chest. And that does make it instantly different. Um, Reebok yeah. in general. I mean, obviously, Reebok did a lot for Bolton being the main sponsor of them for a long time and the stadium. Um, they did some... Int- I mean, 
I'm not sure on them as a kit supplier. I mean, they did Liverpool's for a while. I mean, what is your view overall as Reebok in the kit supplying game? Yeah, I mean, a mixed. it is a mixed bag. They did some good ones for Liverpool, but even just thinking about some of the ones they did for Bolton after the match winner deal, they weren't They weren't always to my taste, I must be honest. And I think they, um, they did some good ones for Man City, actually, as well. They mm. did a really nice ones, end of the 90s. So, again, a mixed a mixed bag, but they, you know, they lasted a good while. They were there, they were there about for most of the decade. Mm, so, they were. again, they've been doing something right. Did some good ones for West Ham as well, I think. They did, I yeah, yeah. I think that going into the two, obviously, Reebok Classics were the trainer to have in the 90s, so they've probably used all the money from that to get into kit design. Um, That's yeah, I mean, looking at the kit art of the season after that, the first proper Reebok one, they've kind of jazzed up that match winner one, didn't they? They kind of added some kind of... A, diamond effect to the to the kit and they added some things on the sleeve moved the badge into the middle but it was kind of just a jazzed up version of the the match winner one and didn't and and straight away you look at the two of them you think oh okay a a little bit of that elegance has gone that's that's just my view Mm, completely oh good one didn't expect that one so that's nice to look back on that my number two and i wax lyrical about this uh, a lot on twitter whenever those kit polls come up about work best and worst england shirts because sometimes it's in the worst column, which is an absolute disgrace. Um, <laughs> it's, it was only worn twice, I think. I can remember it worn in a friendly against Spain and a friendly against the Czech Republic. Possibly one more, but I'm definitely for those games. And it's the third kit from around 92-93. It's completely sky blue. And then it has three massive lions across the, the, the chest and going into the shorts. It was so, I mean, England kits by and large are pretty simple home and away. You might get a few add-ons here and there, like the, the darts looking kit from the 98 World Cup. Um, the obviously ch- colour change for the um, home kit in, in 96 and the grey kit, obviously yeah. is in a world of its own. Let's not even talk about that. If we talk, that's probably worst kit list. Um, maybe we'll do that in another point of the season, John, just thinking that we'll do worst kit. Okay. Uh, just spinning that good. off completely, but we'll do that another point. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this kit, I mean, I, I've tracked it down on, on eBay a few years ago. I still, and now I own it. And I, every time a tournament comes around, I'm not one of those, you know, you get to point in your life where the England team let you down so much you don't care anymore anyway. But if I'm going to wear an England shirt, it's usually this 92 third shirt. I wore it actually last year, uh, just walking around on my stag do on, uh, on the day after in Bournemouth. And then you get these weird looks, people going, is that a real shirt? Because it's a real, do you remember one of those? Because I only wore yeah. it a couple of times. Again, polo collar. I'm surprising myself, actually, because every shirt I've picked almost has got a polo collar. And that wasn't um, intentional. So I obviously got some sort of passion to that because I really like the, the QPR kit from the 90s that had a polo shirt as well. Um so, yeah, for me, best England kit ever. Just because, again, it's blue. I'm very impartial to blue. The fact that it just had this crazy design. And only that happened in the 90s. I can't imagine anyone coming. Look at the England kits now. They're so, so, so drawn back and simple. Yeah, but yeah. that kit, I just loved it. That's what I like about your choices, actually. It wouldn't necessarily be mine, but they're typically 90s. And I think that's... <laughs> that sums me up perfect, John. <laughs> but no, but it's, it's really interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, I think... I remember it very well. It's one that we used to play football every Sunday at the time, and one of my friends had it. And we always referred to it as the Cowardly Lion shirt, because <laughs> the lions looked kind of a little bit comical, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, the, the faces aren't great, yeah. Yeah, they had like... A, and it was always known to me, it still is in my head, the Cowardly Lion shirt. I, I think it's a, it is a great kit. It is really really good of its time i even like the fact that the line there's a little line peeking out on the shorts as well isn't yeah. it it's just it's one on its own and i like that that um looseness of it it's very kind of painterly it's a it's a real you know a bit of a flamboyant one as well but england 
you know, of course, as a, as a Scottish fan, it's, it's difficult for me to comment and be unbiased, I guess. But I, I kind of like England in light blue. I think it's, yeah. you know, um, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an odd one. I know everyone likes either white or red. But they had a couple of really nice light blue shirts, and I think that's a good choice. Yeah, it's very early 90s, isn't it? Because this shirt yeah. is the third shirt before that as well, which is everyone remembers from the 1990 era, you know, the umbroed set they had then. So you had the classic home kit, the 19 Gaza yeah. shirt, the away kit, which mimicked it. And then they had that third kit, which again was the same sky blue colour, um, but without the lines and, and more like a diamond effect on it. But again, yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not a big fan of red kit. If you'll notice, there's no red kits in my top five. I've just It's just yeah. a colour I don't clearly i'm not drawn to so i know sure. the england nostalgia factor in 1966 i get the england the way kit being red is probably right but for me i, I love the blue i loved that early blue kit i obviously love this it's my favorite england kit of all time <laughs> i even loved when england sort of was it 2010 ish they did that it was only wore it for about six months the what the blue the kind of royal blue shorts and the kind of savile row weirdness on they had on the shoulders it was a really sort of I don't know why they even released it. Oh. It was only out for like maybe six, seven months. And then they brought another England kit out. But that's that's a really yeah. hidden yeah. gem in the future when people talk about it. Because it wasn't even ready for a tournament. It was in between. Very strange. It slipped out kind of relatively unnoticed, didn't it? it was, yeah. It was, um, it was Peter Savile, the, the, the uh, yeah. graphic designer, Manchester kind of uh, record sleeve designers, real New Order and people like that. He he was responsible for the multi multicultural crosses, sim- symbolism going on there. So, yeah. But I think when... When you talk about that England 192, it really shows the growing confidence kit designers were having then. Because, I mean, you know, to be that almost arrogant to think, let's, let's try this. You can really see what was going, you can imagine what was going on in the uh, in the kind of kit design workshops around the around the country. Yeah. Again, another Umbro one. Again, another shiny shirt as well. Just thinking that, and as I was saying about the Brazil kit, it's, it's another, that material, very thin, very shiny. I can see David White and Mark Haightley pillars of the of the era and the England team <laughs> of, of, of the current yeah. but that that it was worn in friendly so it was very I think Martin Keown scored a goal in it as well so it says of kind of what sort of games we played in that kit but then let's go right final then we're gonna do a little drum roll John Devlin your favorite kit of the night I bet this was tough of the 1990s do you know it wasn't tough because it is well what I'm gonna do I'm gonna be a tiny tiny little bit cheeky go for it I said up six I'm putting the two of them together for okay. a very, very good reason. They, they belong together, in my view. It's Newcastle, um, Adidas, home, 95-97, and the away from 95-96. I put them in because I, I, I really struggled to separate them out at the time. And I think as a set of kids, it's almost as good as it gets. So I think, I don't know if you remember, there'll be um, very pretty broad stripes, granddad-style collar, three-button yeah. neck, oh, yeah. um, Adidas stripes, sleeves only. You've got your classic Newcastle Brownell logo on the on the home shirt. I mean, it was just fantastic. And I don't think anybody's done Newcastle stripes as well as that since. They constantly mess with Newcastle stripes. And that was a classic, from, in my view. The away kit was a maroon oh. and navy affair with a, a slightly off-white. Not, I don't think we'd hit the ecru phase yet. <laughs> the ecru, oh, the classic 90s ecru phase. Or had, or had we? I need to check that. But it was that off-white, that cream granddad collar again, oh, with a different Newcastle brown logo, which is on the back of the bottles, mm. the big blue star. The two of them together, and I, I remember going into sports shops and my jaw dropping at just how beautiful they were. I've never been a Newcastle fan, so I never bought them, which I really regret. But the two of them together, it has to be almost counted as one design, not one design, one set of kits. 
that was the, the, by far the best for me. Yeah, the new car, the away one, was one that I was when I was looking at myself with the top five. It crossed my mind because very, it was like a oh, okay. rugby style shirt, wasn't it? it was very, yeah. and that granddad collar that went across both shirts. I don't think that was seen anywhere else. Correct me if I'm wrong, John. In the nineties, no, I don't remember it. It popped up a few. I mean, actually, Liverpool's um, quartered green and white shirt that had a, oh, okay something very similar. But I think that was a shinier fabric, whereas Newcastle, I, I think the fabric was slightly different for that one. I can't quite remember. But it did pop up now and again. I don't know how popular it is with players, but it's, um, again, it's a very workmanlike shirt. It's, you know, it's a real, you can almost imagine going way, way, way back to kind of Victorian times. It's that kind of really simple button-up, you know, no-nonsense, that's it, that's what we're going to wear. And, of course, the away kit, the away kit colours came from an early Newcastle colour scheme as well. That they wore, so there's a little bit of nod of heritage mm. there as well, which I think is 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 really important. But it's um yeah, it's certainly it's almost timeless those shirts. I think you yeah. you don't necessarily think of them as being nineties ones, do you? No, you don't. It's I'm looking at it now the away kit, and you, just that accrued whatever they want to call it, the creamy colour. Just it yeah. adds that extra. If that had been pure white, I think it would have yeah. taken away something from the shirt. But Definitely. the fact so that it... it's that kind of creaminess, it makes that retroness just like scream out even more. And it's the, again, uh, Ash, it's that attention to detail. It's, you know, it's that li- the little things that, that are so well considered. And people say, oh, you know, we can design that in an afternoon. But it's those things that, you know, that's why Adidas is so good at what they do. Umbro is so good at what they do. You know, it's, um, yeah, really a real, probably those two, my all-time favourites, actually, not just wow. the 90s. Yeah. Big statement from Mr. John Devlin there. I was just looking at Newcastle's away kits of that era. I mean, that I mean, they were crazy, actually. You forget how many different combinations of colours yeah. Newcastle had. I mean, that 97 navy blue with the orange and green sort of stripes down there, that's, that's a bad kit. Well, that's... You know, that's, that's what's so ironic about Newcastle, because arguably that's probably my least favourite of all time. So in a period of a couple of years, you've got one club with whom I've got no attention or no um, love, not love for, but, you know, I've got no link with. Yeah. But the best kit and the worst kit. Yeah. What happened? You know, yes. it's... Uh, and, and again, so many people you think of, of Man United in white, Arsenal in, in yellow, Liverpool in white, Newcastle in... Oh, they, they don't seem to have that standard away colour do they no they don't actually no you go through there you go on one of your sites and just look at the just the combination of the, all the colours it's yeah it's frightening <laughs> you just forget some of these kits I'm just getting out now the, the all blue one from 98-99 as well are kind of the kits that you can oh yeah they, you're right they really don't have a standard and you go all the way down to modern day and just see some of the colours they've had craziness I remember that, yes. that those halves they had a couple of seasons ago the green and navy yeah ridiculous and of course the um, what was the, the one they had the Adidas one Oh, the banana Recently, one. Um, yeah, the banana. What's a banana? What do people call it? it yeah, awful. Crikey. looking type thing. What's yeah. going on there? I don't yeah. know. I did have to go crazy. Okay, well, my final kit, and this regular listens of this podcast, I'll have no surprise. They've been waiting for me to say it for the past 40-odd minutes we've been talking. Um, <laughs> we're going to the 1994 World Cup. I've chosen more international shirts than I realised, actually, which is quite bizarre. Um, and it's the greatest kit of all time. It's the kit that's sitting hanging in my office right now. It's the thickest Ooh. kit of, of all time. John, I think you, when we did the podcast last season, I bought it to the studio when we were doing it in the studio at the time. It's the USA 94 away kit. Oh, if we're yes, talking about, oh, it's just gorgeous. I'm looking at it now. It's all its denimness. Yes, denim. Like, it's the only denim effect football kit 
I can ever, I could ever, I don't know, I think you'll correct me again if I'm wrong, John. I don't think there's been another kit that mirrors denim like this. The big stars all across the front of the shirt representing, obviously, Old Glory and the 1994 World Cup. I mean, it just summed up America's point of view of soccer at the time because it's, you know, they celebrated their Americanness, which I love. But with the kit that was so ridiculous, it's so thick as well. Now, you can't, you don't know that listening to the podcast, but believe me, it's such how they played in it in that heat is, is crazy. A simple collar. It's not polo this time, just a crossover, simple collar, and then just sort of red cuffs as well. But it just, the design of it is just, oh, it's amazing. It's just a thing of absolute beauty. The home kit was very nice as well. And this away kit, again, it also harks back to a, a story I remember. My my dad had some relatives that we went to see around this time this kit was out. And they were going to America, and I don't know how I got the confidence from, but I was quite a shy kid at the time. Just begged this I think he was a great uncle or something like that to bring back this kit wherever because at the time it was really hard to get non Premier League or first division or, or just foreign kits and international kits in this country not where it being the, the internet you can get now and anything you get on yeah. eBay and things like that so to get that kit I begged him to come back to America from it he didn't and to this day I remind him of it so <laughs> which he probably doesn't even remember bless him because he's getting on a bit now he probably doesn't even know what I'm talking about he probably didn't even take it at the time but I got my hands on it a few years ago anyway and it now proudly hangs in my office um john what are your thoughts on my greatest kit of all time yeah, it no a real favorite of mine actually and again it's it's one of those um kits like the newcastle one that it, for me i can't separate it from the home kit the two of yeah. them are set and they work so well this kind of like uh, abstracted version of the american flag with the, the red and white wavy stripes on the home and the star pattern with the denim on the away Oh, it's just brilliant. I mean, yeah, I was amazed at how thick it was. And, and you know, he wasn't exactly tall in that World Cup, was no, it? So, well, as Jack Charlton and John Aldridge will testify. Of course. They must have struggled. But it's, um, it's, it is brilliant. I and mean, I think, of course, the other great denim show was Marseille's from about 2013. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, I remember that now you say it, yeah. As well, which is really nice. But for the time, it was just breathtaking. And even, even again, it's the detail, the shade of red on the shorts. It's a duller, it's slightly more yep. roony red, a really nice shade. What, what's really funny as well, and I remember saying they were hard to get. I remember at the time, it was probably the first tournament where you started to see sports shops selling a few more of these foreign shirts as they were. And they always seemed to be a really grey area, which was the home and which was the away. Nobody could be quite sure with those US shirts. And I think everyone thought we were all going to go crazy for the World Cup that year. Yeah despite the fact that it was only Ireland that qualified. So it didn't quite, I don't think they quite got the buzz for it. But it's, um, as, a, as a shirt itself, no, I totally agree, Ash. It is a real classic, that it, one. It is such a classic. And uh, I'm just looking at it now. I mean, it's Adidas as well, which is, I think, it's, you know, we've, we've both finished on an, an Adidas shirt there, so they'll be happy with that. interesting. Yeah, yeah. very interesting. Because they wouldn't be my first go-to call, despite this being my favourite shirt. But as a combo, the two of them, yeah, I agree. I mean, sure. I was really annoyed that 2014 World Cup was the perfect time USA could have done a hark back shirt, a bit more of a modern version, 20 years, and they didn't do it, damn yeah. them. Um, so, uh, I mean, But what's funny as well, though, when you look at it, considering how strong Adidas are on their brand, there's very little branding on yeah, it, really. That's the, probably another it, thing I like it, yeah. It might be. Looking at the home shirt as well, I don't remember them having this, but the home shirt actually had the denim star shorts. I don't know what the, the double denim away kit version might have been like. <laughs> Sounds like something Bewitch would have worn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the second time I've mentioned Bewitch on a podcast this week. People will think I'm a fan, which I am. Celevy and all that. There's something going on there. There's something going on, definitely. So yeah, so that's my. Friend. I mean, it, it 
screams players as well. We talk about Alexi Lalas is the famous name from that World Cup. For me personally, yes, I can't go a podcast without saying the name Roy Wegerly, who was a part of that World Cup. But guys like Eric Wanolda, yeah. you know, Eddie Pope. It was, you know, that core of very uh, like mid-90s, 90 uh, American football players and that went on. Kobe Jones, of course, who played for Coventry in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, my favourite kit of all kinds. So, brilliant. Thanks for Good that, John. Choice. I mean, that's do. I mean, you said you had you struggled. Is there any you'd like to say an honourable mention to? Oh goodness, yeah, a whole stack of Umbro away shirts with candy stripes. They brought candy stripes back in. So you looked at, um, it says trying to, and mine goes bang. There was a Wales away, a Scotland away, Man City and Everton thirds white with navy candy stripes. Yes, you know, I remember that, yeah. stripes that aren't pinstripes, but they aren't normal stripes. Yeah. What else was it? There was just so many Norwich's. Um, Pony shirt that uh, oh, Bruce Oldfield designed, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. Sponsored by Coleman, so again, you've got a yeah. really nice um, local firm, local company being involved with the club suits it all so well. And I think when you when you can integrate a sponsor logo in so well, it, it's, it's bonus points, isn't it, for a kit? So there's there was loads, there was so many that decade. Yeah, we'll do another one. Like I say, we'll do another one at some point. Just because, again, I mean, I think we said this when we did the podcast last season. You could we could talk all day because the nineties was a highlight. I mean, a few ones that missed for me. I mean. I, it's the kit that kind of sort of divides everyone, but the England goalkeeping kit away from Euro 96, which I know goalkeeper's kit in the 90s, as we talked about before, are a yeah. whole new level of craziness. You could do a top five on their own because the amount of nuts versions that company, companies went wild for goalie kits in the 90s, yeah. but that refreshers kit, as it's known, was the, the last, I think, it was the last full kit I bought any as uh, any person, child or man. So oh, I was a proper full kit W, as that Twitter feed goes with that. <laughs> I had full on, because it was just ridiculous. I remember it coming out and I just couldn't believe the amount of colours that were on that Euro 96 away kit. And I don't think David Seaman could when he wore it either. So for me, that was one that no. really stood out. Um, I love the Norwich kit. You mentioned Norwich, but I love their 92 bird poo kit. Love that, oh. which they won, um, the kit they won in Munich with. Um, I think we touched on um, Everton's, uh, sorry, well, Umbro's kind of Jason Pollock, uh, Jackson Pollock phase when they did that Everton kit of 94, 95, the away kit that had it kind of weird lines all across it and then a, that kind of a denim-y, stony effect as well, white kit but with a, yes yeah yeah another one yeah, yeah again another polo kit i've got to stop pulling polo shirts but it was very 90s and i think the only other one i wanted to quickly is the banana arsenal kit because you can't really talk about night i know i mentioned earlier with those cups i was talking about but again i mean that's another when you talk about 90s kits that always comes up in the worst but for me it's a great kit <laughs> the the bruised banana yeah. because it just screams 1990s and yet it's still got a little bit of Arsenal there. That colour scheme yeah. is still very much of that, of the, uh, you know, and I think the identity is so important. I know we kind of, our, our views differ slightly on that, but I love the identity of the club in the away kit is still so important for me. So I think that that's a great example, yeah. Well, finally, John, let's just leave, because you're a Liverpool fan. What would be your favourite Liverpool? Because you haven't mentioned any of them in your top five. So your favourite Liverpool kit of the 90s? Oh, God. Home or away, let's open it up, home or away, or third, or goalkeeper, or whatever. I'm going to be slightly controversial here. I'll go, for, well, two. I'll go for their late 90s Reebok with the white crew neck. Okay, yeah. Uh, the one that I think Gerard made his debut in, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we put that actually yesterday on the, oh, the Twitter feed, because, yeah, it was, and I, retiring, we thought I'd we'd say, honor that. 
I'd say that one. I think that was a you know, and it had a really great marketing campaign going with it as well. Um, going back to the classic sort of sixties Liverpool star. The other one, which most people hate, and I loved it, was that one season Adidas Home with the big, big V neck. You remember the one with the? It was like oh, the double V neck type thing. Yeah, with double or triple. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) the biggest V neck of all time. Yeah. But I kind of liked that. Yeah. I thought that was, and again, I liked it because it was a real anomaly. You never saw it. I never saw that start anywhere else. No. But remember the one? I, oh, absolutely. Yeah, because I always remember yeah. the, the V-neck. And I like it when you, you don't be templates on my like sort of pet hate people. Like my friends laugh at me when I just sort of groan when I see templates from kits because I just think it's the most lazy thing from kit companies. But that just shows, like, I don't, like you say, I don't remember that V-neck being on any other kit. It was very bespoke. And I love that. So. Yeah, no good. What about your QPR ones? What would you say QPR ones? Um, well, I mentioned that, uh, I think the home-wise, it'd be, what, what year was that? 97, 98, again, polo-style collar, which we don't okay. have very often. Um, and it had uh, blue, all blue sleeves, obviously the standard hoops, and it had the QPR, the Q, the P, and the R, the middle of the badge, on the arms. Um, and I think the, yeah. the, yeah. the, the away kit completely mirrored that. Again, I know I'm going back to what I said earlier, but with the red and the classic Dennis the Menace style. So he looked as a uniform set with that amazing sort of badge motif, which he couldn't do now because you get slapped on the whatever yeah. league badge you're in now. So it really, you've got to have to kind of sort of plan that area better than you did back in sort of the mid 90s because they didn't, it was quite a late thing. So I think we were in the, yeah, so you would have been our first, yeah, the first division kit. The, the second season we were back in the first division, so um, right. we didn't have to plan for a Premier League badge, so you could have just that whole motif on the yeah. arm of the shirt. Yeah. So that would be my favourite home kit. My away the kit co- is... Co- go on. Sportif, wasn't it? Yes, co- sorry, I didn't say it made it. Yeah, yeah, it was made by Lecoq Sportif and sponsored by Ericsson, which... Um, That's which it. Was, for those older, uh, younger listeners, is uh, used to make mobile phones. Um, <laughs> but back in the day, when they didn't have anything else but a phone, yeah, yeah, yeah. simple times. And way wise, easy. Uh, it'd been the season we got relegated from the Premier League, so it was at ninety five, ninety six, and it's the navy, uh, all navy kit with the really small pin view from, which is a very random kit make. Yeah, from the, they did yeah. that. All I remember view from doing is the QPR shirts at the time and the Olympic kit from the night from what would be in the Olympics, the ninety six, <laughs> I imagine. Um, but I did, I did, John, did they do any other teams for you, from? Do you know what? No, I'm just trying to think. I, a real anomaly, and they, they were they were pretty good. I think they they did they they did a nice white third one as well, didn't they? They did, I mean. yeah, yeah. They did the third one, but the, yeah, the away one with the sort of like, I call yeah. it a pinstripe, but it was a pin hoop really because it went all the way nice. around the kit and uh, kind of similar to. I think Man United had a very similar looking kit in the later nineties, sort of navy and a, and, yes, a and a pinstripe blue. Well, again, pin hoop if that's a word. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd go with those. So yeah, view, view from. Yeah, very random, stuff. very random. Well, thank you, John. That was brilliant. Um, we could chat all day. Um, but for anyone who needs to, wants to chat to you more about kits, where can they find you on the social media? Uh, Twitter, True Colours Kits is your best bet, I think. Um, I'm just starting out on Instagram as well. But Ooh. I need to get, oh, I'm too busy with my 9 to 5 at the minute. But yeah, I'm going to start up doing more on Instagram and Facebook, but Twitter's the best bet. Or John at TrueColorsFootballKits.com. Brilliant. And your books are out and available for Christmas presents? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I'm still working on that upgraded version, the the deluxe bonus big pack of everything in together. That's very much on the plan. So hopefully... 
hopefully at some point in the near future we will have another True Colours book out but the amount of work involved is immense but I'm going to determine to make it happen well we look forward to that because they are absolutely amazing books go online Google True Colours and get them in your Christmas list along with Alive and Kicking The Ultimate Guide to Football Nostalgia as well great griefs thank you very much John Um, my pleasure really enjoyed it We'll be back at some point, definitely talking more kits, but we'll be back again here. We'll we'll be talking to Ralph Welsh uh, in a couple of weeks, who's an author of a new book centred around 90s football. Yes, it's a novel as well. It's going to be very good, so we'll look forward to that. Um, Until then, keep it 90s. John Devlin, ladies and gentlemen. What a lovely bloke that man is, and what a brilliant look back at some kits from the 1990s. That was our top fives. Um, Interesting choices, I thought, really, from both of us. Um, I think there was no surprise in my number one being the USA 1994 kit, which I am literally staring at right now that hangs in my office. Love that kit. And anyone, I don't know if anyone saw on Twitter, someone done a mock sort of remake of that forever time the USA kit is uh, up for a, a new redesign in a couple of years. If anyone wants to do that, whether it be Nike or Adidas, do it and take my money because that would be amazing. Uh, and John going for the Newcastle kits uh, of the mid-90s, the sort of the entertainers, I suppose, wore those kits. Um, very nice retro collars. I do like the away one. We mentioned the rugby-looking one. That was one of my favourites as well. So really look interesting look back. Um, we probably will do our worst kits of the 90s at some point because I think that would be quite funny. Um, although, like I said before, it's even bad kits are brilliant for me, but maybe that'll be more fun to go through. Maybe we'll do that in 2017. And talking of 2017, as I said at the top of the show, we will be back in full force next year. Uh, hopefully shows at least uh, bi-weekly, if not weekly. New guests, uh, new footballers on the phone. Thank you again to Ian Bishop, who was this week's guest. Uh, and just, yeah, giving you more football in the 1990s. Um, so do check out that. Um, check out John's books if you haven't already. True Colours, they're fantastic for anyone in your football kits. Check out Alive and Kicking, the 90s football book, Nostalgia. It's absolutely amazing if I say so myself. But it is the book that spawned this podcast. And if you enjoy this podcast, you'll love this book because everything we've talked about is in it. You still may be able to get it on an overnight delivery or, as I said at the top of the show, if you've got some money after Christmas from some relatives, why don't you just treat yourself to a couple of football books including those I've mentioned um, and hopefully you'll enjoy them all um, it just reminds me to say have a great Christmas if you get anything 90s football related do stick them on Twitter at AK90s always welcome to see them I will do too I'm usually expecting something um, of that sort of ilk from one of my relatives or, or the wife so um, although I don't think there's much room left in my office <laughs> um, but yeah have a great Christmas we'll see you in 2017 and until then keep it 90s